For once, having a kid is good for your bank account. The lead starts right now. President Biden saying it can be life-changing for many families. The much-anticipated child tax credit that passed Congress in March hits bank accounts today and just in the nick of time as the cost of living soars. The Biden White House firing back against vaccine lies and conspiracy theories as CNN visits a hospital where younger, sicker patients are gasping through an entirely preventable fourth wave. And speaking of fountains of misinformation, House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy meets with former President Trump today to kiss his ring before McCarthy decides who to put on the select House committee to investigate that mega riot. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin today with the politics lead. Any moment, we expect President Joe Biden to hold a news conference along with German Chancellor Angela Merkel, who's visiting the White House for likely her last time after 15 years at the helm. And while this is expected to be a publicly friendly exchange, Biden plans to bring up some issues related to China, as well as the controversial Russian pipeline, while Merkel will likely be looking for clarity about Biden's plans for Afghanistan, given the almost complete withdrawal of U.S. troops and the recent successes of the Taliban. At the same time, the White House today is fighting a different kind of war, one against misinformation and the coronavirus. Speaking today at the White House press briefing, Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Morthy said, quote, health misinformation has cost us lives, unquote, and nearly every death we are currently seeing from COVID-19 could have been prevented. Dr. Morthy referred to 10 members of his own family who have died from COVID-19. And as CNN's Caitlin Collins reports, Morthy's urgent call comes as vaccination rates across the country are plummeting. The Surgeon General issuing a dire warning today, calling COVID-19 misinformation an urgent threat. We must confront misinformation as a nation. The stark words coming during a rare appearance in the briefing room by Dr. Vivek Murthy on his unprecedented advisory. Surgeon General advisories are reserved for urgent public health threats. Today, we live in a world where misinformation poses an imminent and insidious threat to our nation's health. The Surgeon General citing studies showing that even the briefest exposure to misinformation made people less likely to get vaccinated. It's painful for me to know that nearly every death we are seeing now from COVID-19 could have been prevented. I say that as someone who has lost 10 family members. Much of that misinformation circulates on social media platforms like Facebook. But Biden's top aides have declined to say whether those companies should be held accountable. Much, much more has to be done. And we can't wait longer for them to take aggressive action because it's costing people their lives. President Biden turning the focus to his economic agenda touting monthly payments known as child tax credits that started going out to families today. This can be life-changing for so many families. Established as part of his coronavirus relief package, the Biden administration will send up to $300 per child per month to most American families for the rest of the year. And single parents with incomes up to $112,000 and married couples with incomes up to $150,000 are eligible for the full benefit. I think this will be one of the things that the vice president and I will be most proud of when our terms are up. Parents that filed recent tax returns or got stimulus checks are expected to get paid automatically. But one difficulty facing the White House is finding those outside the tax system. And certainly we will be vigilant and do everything we can to reach every single person who's eligible. The White House has indicated they want to make the child tax credit permanent. But tonight, they're also tamping down concerns about inflation amid fears the economy could overheat. 
the data shows, and the Federal Reserve Chair, who operates independently, conveyed yesterday that uh, most of the price increases uh, we are seeing are expected to be temporary. Now, Jake, a big crux of the Surgeon General's argument today was that these Facebook company, these companies like Facebook have really allowed misinformation to poison our information environment with little accountability to their users, though the White House has still declined to say whether or not they believe those companies should be regulated over misinformation when it relates to coronavirus vaccines. All right, Caitlin Collins with the White House, thanks so much. The U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Morthy, joins us now. Dr. Morthy, today you said this is personal for you. You lost 10 family members to coronavirus, family members who did not have the opportunity to get vaccinated. You're also the father of two young children who aren't eligible for the vaccine. What is your biggest fear here? Well, Jake, my biggest worry is that we have the ability to save people's lives, to protect them from COVID-19, and we're not making full Uh, use of that opportunity. We're not bringing that life-saving potential to people who could otherwise have it. And one of the things that's standing in our way is misinformation. You know, I think everyone, Jake, uh, has the right to have accurate information so they can make their own decisions about their health and the health of their families. But millions of people don't have access to accurate information right now because on social media platforms and other tech platforms, we're seeing the rampant spread of misinformation and it's costing people their lives. The solution to this, of course, is uh, is difficult um, because obviously there is a First Amendment right to free speech and freedom of the press in this country. Uh, so what exactly is the solution? And we can't be telling the government can't be telling organizations that they cannot publish or cannot post things on on media. How do you propose fixing the issue? Well, Jake, in the advisory that I issued today, we call for an all of society response because it turns out There are steps many of us can take to help address the spread of misinformation. Yes, there's a role for technology companies in being more transparent with the data they have and changing their algorithms to avoid, uh, again, sending misinformation to people again and again. But as individuals, we have a choice about what we choose to share online. And if we pause before we share, if we check our sources to make sure they're coming from credible scientific uh, resources, if we choose not to share, uh, if we're not sure, about the sources. That's one way that we can help prevent the the spread of misinformation. But it's going to take all of us, Jake, doctors and nurses speaking directly to communities, educators helping build uh, digital health literacy, uh, government bringing people together to take aggressive action, and certainly companies as well, the technology companies, being more responsible, being more transparent and accountable when it comes to stopping the spread of misinformation online. Well, what do you want the tech companies to do? Because the tech, like, for instance, one of the big sources of misinformation uh, are you know politicians uh, on the right wing in the past when it comes to different kinds of vaccines we've seen left wing people but but well Robert Kennedy Jr. Uh, is a big anti-vaxxer and has been out there for years with an anti-vax message spreading misinformation telling lies um, what do you want tech companies to do when it comes to you know either Marjorie Taylor Greene on the right or Robert Kennedy Jr. on on the left. Well, Jake, there are a number of steps tech companies can take to prevent the spread of misinformation. Number one, uh, they can identify people who are super spreaders of misinformation uh, and limit the information that they share. Number two, they can take the data that they have that tells them us how much misinformation is really spreading, who it's affecting. They can share that publicly and transparently uh, with researchers. They can also, Jake, take a closer look at modifying their algorithms, which again, serve up content that's false to people, sometimes again and again, if they look at false content once, because that's the way these algorithms are designed. 
Tech companies will say that they've taken some steps forward, and they have, but we need much more action from technology companies. This is not a problem we can take years to solve. Uh, people are losing their lives. Their health is being impacted right now. And so it's really incumbent upon these companies to step up their game. What is the most specific um, misinformation that you're seeing that is, according to data and studies, uh, stopping people from, from getting vaccines? I mean, we see lies from people like such as Con Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene just taking numbers and statistics and twisting them or just inventing them. Um, what, according to your research, is, is the information that comes back from people when you survey them as to why they think it isn't safe, even though obviously it is safe, I've been vaccinated, you've been vaccinated, et cetera? Well, Jake, it depends a bit on the age group that you're talking about, but I'll tell you some of the top myths that appear to be influencing people are, number one, the myth that the COVID vaccine causes COVID. It does not. Among young people in particular, there's a myth that the COVID vaccine may cause infertility or DNA mutations. Uh, in both cases, that is also false. There's no scientific evidence to suggest that. Uh, but what we are seeing is that is, in fact, uh, leaning, affecting people's decisions. The last one is the idea that if you've had COVID in the past, that so you certainly don't need a vaccine now. And that also is not true. Uh, while you likely have some degree of protection if you've been infected in the past, we don't know how long that immunity lasts. And we've also seen that the immunity that you get from the vaccine uh, appears based on antibody levels to be uh, potentially superior to what you get from natural infection alone. So these are some of the myths that are out there, Jake. We see them spreading on social media. We see them showing up in survey results. Two thirds of the unvaccinated either believe one of these myths or think they might be true. So that's what we've got to address. This anti-vax paranoia and hysteria, while it does exist on the left and the right and in, in groups regardless of politics, it is now seeping in an official way, in many ways, into the Republican Party, even though President Donald Trump is the one who began Operation Warp Speed that, that got us these vaccines. Are you worried that in states such as Tennessee, where officials are not even relaying information on just the COVID vaccine, but on any vaccines to adolescents, we're headed towards a real public health crisis? Well, Jake, I'm very worried about what's happening uh, with the flow of scientific information to the public at this point. Uh, science has allowed us to save lives. Uh, it's what is the underpinning of good medicine. And when we have good scientific data that tells us how to prevent COVID, uh, whether it's information about vaccinations for adults or for adolescents, it's essential that we get this information to people. Blocking that information, uh, attacking the public health officials who are trying to bring that life-saving information to adolescents and to parents, uh, this is not in line uh, with saving lives. It's counterproductive, uh, and it ultimately is a disservice uh, to people who depend uh, on all of us as health, uh, you know, health uh, professionals to get them uh, the right information so they can make decisions about things like vaccines. So I am worried. I do think that what has happened is that uh, many parts of this pandemic have become uh, unfortunately controversial and, and politicized. We've got to get away uh, from the politics of it. We've got to focus back on getting people evidence-based scientific information so they can protect themselves and their families. A lot of ignorant demagogues out there with blood on their hands. U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Morthy, thank you so much for your time and our deepest condolences on, you. on your family members who, who you have lost to COVID. Thank you so much, Jake. Appreciate it. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy meeting with former President Trump before he makes his picks for that January 6th select committee. 
The guy top generals feared wanted to stage a coup that day, according to a new book. That's next. And some progressives are trying to push him out, fearing results of future elections. But is Justice Breyer about to retire? What did he tell CNN exclusively? Stay with us. In our politics lead today, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy of California met with former President Trump today at Trump's Bedminster Golf Club. The meeting coming as McCarthy continues to weigh which House Republicans he will tap for the select House committee to investigate the January 6th Capitol Hill insurrection. This following reports that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, was concerned that Trump could try to stage a coup in the aftermath of his 2020 loss. CNN's Ryan Nobles joins me now from Capitol Hill. Uh, Ryan, do we know why McCarthy met with Trump and what they discussed? Yeah, the only two people that know for sure what happened in that meeting are the former president and the House Minority Leader. At this point, neither side offering a readout of that conversation. But we know going in that McCarthy's purpose was to talk to Trump about the record uh, fundraising totals that he and his House Republicans have brought in over the past couple of months, and also to talk about vulnerable Democrats that they're going to go after in the 2022 midterms. But the timing of this, uh, Jake, is of course very suspicious. It comes right around the time that Kevin McCarthy has to name his five picks to that House Select Committee to investigate the January 6th insurrection. He has yet to do that, and that uh, committee is going to hold its first hearing at the end of July. So it, it stands to question whether or not that is a topic of conversation between Trump and McCarthy, given the fact that Trump could be a big focus of this committee's work. Jake. And, and Ryan, are, are Republicans on board with this meeting? You know, it's interesting. Uh, a leader reflects uh, the people that he leads, right? And it's not a surprise that most House Republicans have no problem with Kevin McCarthy meeting uh, with President Trump. I caught up with Tom Cole from Oklahoma. He's certainly a conservative, but he's not uh, a more controversial member of the House Republican caucus. This is what he told me of the meeting earlier today. I think it's perfectly appropriate for him to be visiting, uh, you know, with uh, the former president or any other political figure that you know, people that might be running. That's sort of his business. And, uh, you know, he's our, uh, you know, our, our leader. And so he is the leader of the Republican Party. The Republicans in the House have no problem with Donald Trump playing an important role in their future. And that goes what happens in the midterms and beyond. Jake. All right, Ryan, thank you so much. Appreciate it. This McCarthy-Trump meeting comes amid the release of a slew of new and explosive books that paint a disturbing picture of Trump's Time in the White House. Joining me now to discuss is presidential historian Douglas Brinkley. Professor Brinkley, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, a new book by Washington Post reporters Carol uh, Lenning and Philip Rucker claims that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, thought that Trump was, quote, the classic authoritarian leader with nothing to lose, unquote, and allegedly told his aides in regards to Trump's continued lies about the election results, quote, this is a Reichstag moment the gospel of, gospel of the Fuhrer. Now, for people who aren't that familiar with World War II history, Reichstag moment, that refers to the 1933 attack on Germany's parliament building. Hitler used as, as a pretext to establish a Nazi dictatorship. Uh, now, a, a source close to Milley says that the general was not calling Trump a Nazi, but rather was expressing concern that Trump's rhetoric could lead to the environment of that kind of seizing power uh, in the midst uh, of controversy and uh, insecurity. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I Alone Can Fix, it's a stunning book people have to read, and it's, it has a lot of Nazi symbolism in it. Uh, General Mark Milley uh, talks about the Trump supporters. He fears them as bring brown shirts, referring to Adolf Hitler's followers. Now, of course, nobody's equating Trump to Hitler. But this, the, what, what's powerful here is that the U.S. military leaders, our top generals, admirals, joint chiefs of staff, are worried that Trump has a fascist fixation of staying in power. And they even, Millie calls the Boogaloo Boys and the Proud Boys, these fascist groups, um, Hitler-like troops. And we all know that at, at times Donald Trump seems indifferent at a Charlottesville event or during a debate just says, I tell the Proud Boys to, you know, uh, stand back and stand ready. So Trump dabbles in this sort of fascist Hitler-like imagery from time to time, and he dabbled enough in it that it frightened our um, Joint Chiefs of Staff and uh, top military brass that Trump is unglued. And in fact, Millie, Jake, says that's what we fought World War II against, were the very type of people that were assembling on January 6th at the Capitol. Well, and that's the thing. It's not really about the Nazi uh, part of it so much as it is about the authoritarian part of it, the idea... Uh, that this country actually came closer than we possibly ever have, at least in the last century, uh, to having a leader seriously attempt to overturn a democratic election. It was done uh, rhetorically. It was done in courts. It was done before election boards. Um, and and he continues to lie about this. And then we saw what happened on January 6th. How concerned are you, given the fact that Trump has not gone away and this authoritarian impulse, this desire to make it easier to overturn the will of the people, uh, is, if anything, gaining steam? Yeah, I'm, I'm deeply concerned. And in uh, I Alone Can Fix It, you know, Nancy Pelosi talks about uh, talking to um, General Milley saying, how do we know Trump won't use a nuclear weapon? This guy is unstable. He'll do anything to stay in power. And there weren't any guarantees. And in the military, they were talking about basically a madman being in the White House and we've got to land this aircraft uh, um, you know, safely. The, the fact that our best and the brightest in the military, something like General Milley who went to Princeton and Columbia graduate degrees, Naval War College, this incredible intellectual was this deeply concerned about Trump was up to. Uh, and what it is, is a rise of fascism in America. And Donald Trump is the leader of it. And these, these books that are coming out now are just building a portrait of an authoritarian president, Donald Trump, that was completely hell-bent on not relinquishing power, truth be damned. Yeah, and it's not just the Nancy Pelosi's of the world. I mean, it's people who served under Trump. It's a former General John Kelly. It's a General Mattis. It's John Bolton. Now, on these allegations, Trump responded by, with a statement today in which he said, in part, I never threatened or spoke about to anyone a coup of our government. So ridiculous. Sorry to inform you. But an election is my form of coup. And if I was going to do a coup, one of the last people I would want to do it with is General Mark Milley. That is quite a statement. If I was going to do a coup, yeah, one of the last absolutely. people I would do it with was General Milley. What we're dealing with in Donald Trump is somebody who's clever and smart, but is a bit of an imbecile and has no sense of history. And in the famous moment when General Kelly went to Europe with Donald Trump and Trump started praising Hitler about the Audubon and Rhodes and Kelly looked at him and said, don't ever say anything nice about Hitler. 
We all know not to do that. Nobody would do that. But Trump maybe didn't read the memos about World War II, perhaps. I mean, and I think, uh, you know, the late writer, Jay Norman Mailer, used to tell me about, you know, that in history, sometimes only a few names get known. You know, uh, so Andy Warhol would paint Mao Zedong or Elvis Presley. I think Trump wanted to always be in that class of a known name. And he never took the time to notice you don't want to be considered with Mao or or Mussolini or Hitler in any way, shape or form. He saw them more as celebrities because he never did the deep reading on what their policies represented and how heinous they were to the world. Yeah, that that anecdote you just mentioned about uh, Trump praising Hitler, saying he did do some things right. That comes from Mike Bender's uh, new book. And Trump denies that story. But a, a source familiar with that conversation confirms to me that Bender's account is correct. Uh, Douglas Brinkley, thank you so much for your time and your perspective. Younger patients staying sicker longer, 99% of them are unvaccinated to look inside a COVID wave that did not have to happen. That's next. In our Healthy Today, America's children who have not yet been cleared for vaccines are depending on the rest of us to get vaccinated. That was part of the Surgeon General's plea today to get vaccine procrastinators or vaccine skeptics on board as individual states struggle to vaccinate, inform, and keep that highly infectious Delta variant at bay. CNN's Miguel Marquez takes us to Louisiana today, where the state is experiencing an entirely preventable fourth wave on the bayou. The latest coronavirus surge hitting hospitals across Louisiana. Patients struggling to breathe, now younger, sicker, and staying in the hospital longer, say doctors, treating them. Something new that I'm having to struggle with is now having to tell four, five, and nine-year-olds about their loved one and not being able to get them home or be able to see them. And that's difficult. And I don't want to go through that over and over again. Doctors and nurses stressed. A long year getting longer. Lafayette's Our Lady of Lords Regional Medical Center has had the highest number of COVID patients admitted in the state. We're going to exhibit now more stress on the system, uh, more stress on us um, as we're having to take care of these patients. Once they arrive, they're in the hospital for weeks and months. The Bayou State now entering its fourth coronavirus surge, driven by low vaccination rates. Currently, only about 36% of residents here are fully vaccinated, and the rapidly spreading Delta variant, accounting for nearly 60% of infections here. How fast is the virus growing in the community here? Well, right now we've had the highest number of new cases, almost 2,000 new cases today, than we've had going back almost three or four months. Delta variant up until last week was doubling in prevalence every two weeks. In Monroe, in northern Louisiana, St. Francis Medical Center has admitted the second highest number of COVID patients in the state. We're seeing patients in their 30s and 40s. Um, 99% of the patients that are presenting are unvaccinated people that are having symptoms to the emergency room. The hospital now expanding its capacity for COVID-19 patients. Dr. John Brookhouse is in an ICU that usually cares for patients getting out of surgery. It's been emptied and is again being prepared for coronavirus patients. We know that our area has about 25 to 30 percent influx of the Delta variant. Uh, We expect every seven to 10 days for that to increase by 10 to 12 percent. So we're concerned that over the next three to six weeks that the large majority of the virus in Louisiana will be the Delta variant. 
one vaccination clinic here putting a couple dozen shots into arms daily. They were doing hundreds a day just a few months ago. They say overcoming anti-vaccination conspiracies, the hardest part of their job. Seeing people, seeing their loved ones, seeing other people that they know and trust receive it and seeing that they are perfectly fine, um, I think that's what it really takes is making it personal. Or someone in their family becoming very sick then makes it a priority. Now, as impossible as it may seem for some to get vaccinated, doctors, health professionals we spoke to said, look, if, if you are vaccinated and there is someone you love that is not, don't harangue them, don't tease them, don't mock them, just stay on them, keep asking them, give them good information, keep working on them. There is a large persuadable number out there that will eventually get the vaccine. Jake? All right, Miguel Marquez in New Orleans, thank you so much. Joining us now to discuss, Dr. Joseph Cantor. He's the state health officer and medical director for Louisiana. Uh, Dr. Cantor, thanks for joining us. You heard in Miguel's piece from a doctor in northern Louisiana saying that 99% of the patients coming to the emergency department with COVID, 99% are unvaccinated. That squares with what we're seeing across the country. Right now, only about 36% of the entire state of Louisiana's population is vaccinated. Governor John Bell Edwards, he's been very pro-vaccine from the beginning. Why are so many Louisianans not getting the shot? Thanks, Jake. It's good to be with you. Governor Edwards has been very pro-vaccine and and pro-science. We're very thankful for that. It's challenging, and our challenges are very similar to our neighbors, Arkansas and Mississippi. When you get into uh, rural locations, particularly in the South, there's a lot of mistrust out there. And then there's a lot of misinformation and deliberate disinformation. And I'll tell you, it's, it's, it's really challenging. I was so happy to see the Surgeon General put out the advisory against misinformation today because we feel it every day. People read things on social media and it gets into their head. It's usually based on nothing at all, but these myths have become so pervasive and they do so much damage. You know, last week we had a 24-year-old ER nurse from Lafayette die of COVID. We had a 30-year-old clergy member uh, from the town of Eunice die of COVID. And those families are really suffering And at the end of the day, it's preventable. That's the real kick in the gut here. Those two individuals you mentioned, I assume you're saying that they were not vaccinated is the point you're making. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I can't talk about their cases more than that. But I mean, 97 to 99 percent of both the cases and the deaths that we've seen over the past five months have been in unvaccinated individuals when breakthrough cases do happen, which is someone that's fully vaccinated that still gets COVID. And, and they do, you know, it needs to be said, these vaccines provide excellent, but not absolute protection. There are no 100% break- vaccines, right? I mean, there's, there's no vaccine in the world right. that is 100% on anything. No, that's right. I mean, 94, 95% efficacy is a grand slam for vaccines. You know, few vaccines come that close, but it's not 100. Right. When we do see break cases, they're usually mild or asymptomatic. So much suffering Morbidity mortality is due to unvaccinated individuals getting it, spreading it, and then infecting their family members. Dr. Cantor, let's talk about the misinformation about the vaccine. What are you hearing and how is the state of Louisiana combating it? Yeah, we're really trying a kitchen sink approach right now. We work really hard to engage trusted messengers. You know, at this stage in the vaccine campaign, I think a lot of us need to be humble enough. I need to be humble to know 
I am probably not the best messenger for everyone. The governor is probably not the best messenger for everyone. My department's not the best messenger, but somebody is a good messenger, a community member, a physician, a a leader, um, a member of their church. So what we're trying to do is partner with organizations, find those trusted messengers and empower them with facts and resources to go talk to people and get their questions answered. Like Miguel said a minute ago, you know, there's a large movable middle amongst the people that have yet to choose to get vaccinated that probably will get vaccinated. They just haven't done so yet. They're on the fence. They have questions. And I think we can still reach those people. Operation Warp Speed, through which uh, so many of these vaccines were, were discovered, or at least uh, the funding for distrib- distribution came, that, that was started by President Trump, who has said a few things here and there uh, praising the vaccine, but has not used the force of his, of his platform and his popularity among many voters to push people to get the vaccine. What would be the impact, do you think, if, if President Trump did a tour of Louisiana, urging, focused entirely on urging Louisianans to get vaccinated? I, I think it would it would move the needle. But I, I hold every elected official for that. If you're an elected official and you're not talking truth about the science right now, if you're spreading disinformation, there are literally lives on your hands, on your shoulders right now. And look, Trump did not make this vaccine. Biden did not make this vaccine. Scientists and a lot of them made this vaccine. And now it's been proven over eight plus months. Yeah. Dr. Joseph Cantor, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for what you do. Good luck out there. With some liberals trying to nudge him out the door in a rare interview, Justice Stephen Breyer of the Supreme Court tells CNN whether he has plans to step down. Stay with us. A CNN exclusive in our politics lead. He's not trading the bench for a rocking chair just yet. Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer, the high court's most senior liberal-leaning justice, will turn 83 next month. Spoke, speaking to CNN, revealing for the first time his thoughts on a possible retirement. CNN legal analyst and Supreme Court biographer Joan Biskup ex- spoke exclusively to Breyer. So, Joan, uh, big scoop here. What did he have to say to you? Well, you know, I was curious. There's been so much speculation over the last couple of months about what Stephen Breyer would do. Would he give Joe Biden his first chance to put a lifetime appointee on the Supreme Court? So I went up to see him and I said, have you decided when you're going to retire? And he said, no, he just still has not made that choice. I asked him what kind of factors would lead to it. He said, number one, his health. And he's feeling really good right now. You mentioned he's going to be 83 next year, next month. He's a pretty vigorous 83. He stays active. He jogs. uh, He he travels. And he said the second consideration would be the court, the integrity of the court. And here's a man who thinks of himself as a consensus builder. And he's now in this new role that you mentioned, you know, the senior liberal, somebody who speaks uh, sooner in their private meetings. He feels like he's got a chance to influence the court, to bring about more cross-ideological consensus, as he did on the Affordable Care Act cases term. He actually feels like he's a force for good right now. Mm -hmm. And I know that there are so many voices saying, it's good you've been a force for good, but it's time to leave because we do not want to risk what happened with with Bader, Bader Ginsburg. Ginsburg. And that's and that's the thing. It's not about how good he is or how influential that's he right. is. There are a bunch of Democrats and progressives out there saying, if you stick around and the Republicans take the Senate, or you stick around even longer and uh, Republicans take the White House and the Senate, your seat is going to become hard conservative. Uh, what does he make of all the calls for him to resign? Okay, so first of all, I think he's trying to tune them out. 
you know, he's trying to, he, during the court term, he was basically working on his cases. Now he's up in New Hampshire, away from it all. He's got a book coming out in September that he's thinking about the promotion for that. He's trying to promote it as a sitting justice. And I think his idea about what happened with Ginsburg and the kind of dice he may be rolling here is that he has at least, he has another year for sure. Because theoretically, Jake, the Senate would stay Democratic. I mean, obviously, it's just a one-vote Democratic Senate right now. There's a risk there because something could happen to someone. A Democratic senator could yeah, die. Yeah, exactly right. 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 But let's say that doesn't happen, and let's hope it doesn't happen for all the reasons we wouldn't want somebody to die you know, unexpectedly. The midterm elections would be next November of 2022, and he could, he could go at the end of next term, stick around, decide some of the abortion, the abortion and gun rights cases, things that he believes he could have a strong hand in. All right, interesting. So maybe he'll retire next June, but who knows? No indications that he will. Jim Biskupic with right. another great scoop. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. We're just one week away from the Olympics, and we're learning one of the most iconic parts of the medal ceremony is going away because of COVID. Stick around. In our faith lead today, as Israel and Gaza continue to attempt to pick up the pieces from their recent conflict, CNN is taking a close look at Jerusalem, the city considered a holy site for, the three, for three of the world's most prominent religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. A new CNN original series, Jerusalem, City of Faith and Fury, dives into the tension that dates back thousands of years. The 12 tribes of ancient Israel have united under King Saul and met the Philistines in battle. The Philistines have sent a man, Goliath, out onto the battlefield who has challenged any other Israelite to battle. And because of his size, none of the Israelites were willing to take him up on the offer. So at this point, David enters the story. David was the youngest of eight sons. And the story goes that David was basically a shepherd boy who would take his father's flocks out. Altogether, he's one of history's most fascinating characters. He was a poet, he was a singer. He's a little guy. He's not a smooth politician, he's not an administrator, he's not a schemer. He's the opposite of all of that. He acts on impulse. CNN's Pentagon correspondent Oren Lieberman joins us before covering the Pentagon. Oren was stationed in Jerusalem for CNN for years. Oren, what is the current dynamic in Jerusalem? Jake, it would be a mistake to think that the current tensions are something new to the city. This has been a city that, because of its religious importance to Christianity, Islam, and Jerusalem, has been in conflict for thousands of years. And that's what this series dives into. Religious conflict, because at different times in history, it's been ruled uh, under Jewish rule, Christian rule, and Islamic rule. But then political conflict as well, with the religions so close together, the political and national identities that tie into that, it's all part of it. And it's not just the past that makes Jerusalem significant, it is the future because of Jerusalem's place in prophecy when it comes to biblical prophecy. And it's important and fascinating to remember that when it comes to Jerusalem, the power of the stories for Jerusalem is very often more more powerful than the truth of the stories. And that's why it has such an impact on people, and that's why the series dives into some of these conflicts that have defined the city and in many ways defined human history over the course of thousands of years here. And in fact, the, the most recent military conflict between uh, the Palestinians in Gaza and the Israeli, Israelis have to do with East Jerusalem, 
uh, and who was there and how long and who has a claim to it. Is there any movement at all towards trying, trying to find a solution towards Jerusalem? I think a solution, talking about it, theorizing about it, is a nice thing to do. I think it's hard to look at the, at the conflict right now and say there is a solution in the foreseeable future. Certainly not one that satisfies the political, national, and religious aspirations of, of everyone there and everyone around it. Critically, there's an attempt to find a solution that makes the city much more livable. Nothing that makes everyone happy, but something that makes it possible to live in what is an incredible city for all its faults, for all its issues, and for all its problems. All right, Oren Lieberman, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Check out the premiere of this new CNN original series, Jerusalem City of Faith and Fury, this Sunday on CNN at 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. Coming up, President Biden will take reporters' questions after his meeting with German Chancellor Angela Merkel. We'll bring that to you live. Plus, leaders of America's military were on alert for a coup attempt on January 6th, according to a new book. And that's not the only shocking thing we've learned about Trump's final days in office. Stay with us. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.